welcome to the Climate Capital Podcast, where we interview founders who are solving the most difficult and important decarbonization problems in the world. Climate Capital, across our funds and syndicate, is one of the most active funders of early stage climate tech in the world. This episode is led by Jenny, the GP of Climate Capital's BioFund. Today, we are delighted to have Tina, co-founder and CEO of Arellus Bio, join us. Tina, welcome. Great to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? How do you typically introduce yourself at parties? Oh, definitely. So, <laughs> you know, at parties, I usually would uh, introduce myself as the, the number one crypto fan. <laughs> because you know, we love we love amino acids and so we're fans of tryptophan. Otherwise, I have done a lot of of Muay Thai fighting in my life, and so that's something that is popular at parties too. More scientific sense yeah. than yeah. My background is in uh, protein engineering and biochemistry. I worked at Amgen for a couple of years before I went to grad school, where I studied chemical biology and the innate immune system. And I went to Caltech to do my postdoc with Francis Arnold. And there I met the wonderful Jenny, our host today. And uh, after that, we spun our technology out to start Carlos Bio. Where are you located today? We're in San Leandro, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Is that where you grew up? No, I'm actually from Colorado. So I lived there most of my life. But then I moved to California, first go to Caltech and now to to San Francisco, where we're we're building our company. Tell us about what led you to build Aralis and what's the origin story? Yeah, so our our origin story, and I guess to be determined if it's a hero or a villain origin story, but uh, <laughs> our origin story is uh, we were working on this technology as postdocs at Caltech in Francis Arnold's lab. So we were developing this. It's a cool enzyme platform that's able to synthesize new types of amino acids. And David and I were on this project together. So we worked together for a couple of years. And our other academic co-founder, Francis Arnold, actually was the first one who put the idea of starting a company into our heads. Uh, she thought that this was something that you know we might like, might be good at, and where the technology we've been developing might have some interesting commercial applications. So once she put that idea into our head, we went and talked to a bunch of potential customers and mm-hmm. applied for, for different fellowships and funding, and then took took the plunge. Is being an entrepreneur something that you've always wanted to do? So I know a lot of people know exactly what they want to be when they grow up. I was not really one of those people. Uh, I knew I wanted to do something in biology because when I was in elementary school, I read these uh, fantasy books called The Dragon Riders of Pern, where they bioengineer dragons in order to, you know, save the people, protect the planet. It's very excellent. You should read it. But uh, I knew I wanted to be in biology, but didn't have any specific idea of exactly where that should go. And so I worked in industry for a while, and I really enjoyed that. I worked in academia for a while, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, But it's hard to know that you want to be an entrepreneur if you don't really know what that entails. Mm-hmm. Uh, having taken the plunge, you know, 10 out of 10, best career choice, would do it again. Uh, but I uh, am fortunate in a way to have just been in the right 
right place at the right time for that idea to be seeded so that we could we could start the company. And what does the transition look like for you from becoming a scientist to a CEO and co-founder of a company? It is pretty silly that one day you're a, a grad student or a postdoc, and then yeah. the next day you just put on a hat and say, I'm a CEO now, but really nothing has, has changed. So yeah. there's definitely a, some dysphoria that's associated with that. But I was uh, fortunate enough to be selected for a fellowship. Uh, it's called an Activate Fellowship, which supports people in exactly that situation, people that are hard tech scientists and engineers that are becoming founders and and could use a little help figuring out exactly what that means. So that was really great to help me learn how to uh, do things like raise venture capital or manage a team and all of these other activities that you don't think of uh, because a lot of times we're so focused on the science. But I think that it's been you know, really rewarding and very helpful to have such a great network of other founders and entrepreneurs and investors in the San Francisco area that are always happy to share their lessons learned and and help help newcomers on their journey. Would you tell us more about the problem you are trying to solve with Aralus Bio in a way that is not technical so that everybody can understand? Yeah. So at Aralus Bio, we're really interested in amino acids. And there are 20 amino acids that are found in proteins, but they're also really useful in industry. So they're used to make a lot of drugs and flavors and agrochemicals and all kinds of different materials. And uh, today, there's really good technology for making those 20 amino acids. But there's actually, you know, 800 other naturally occurring amino acids and then then thousands more that could be made. And the existing technologies are not very good at making those. And the opportunity here is that all of these new types of amino acids would would allow us to create new types of products, of, of bio-based products that could help to address you know, challenges in, in health or in sustainability. And so there really is this, this unmet need here. And it's also a scientific frontier, along with a lot of other synthetic biology companies. And how do we make these amino acids right now? And why are some of them so difficult to make? So right now, a lot of the amino acids are made with uh, fermentation, if we're talking about those those standard 20. And fermentation is a great tried and true uh, biotechnology technique. And so the methods for making those are really excellent. But for some of these weirder, or as we call them, non-canonical amino acids, uh, you have to use uh, chemi- chemical synthesis methods. And that ends up being you know, five or 10 steps in order to create a single amino acid. And so it produces hundred times more waste than product. And it's just generally very, very limited and inefficient. So because it's so hard to make these products, then we haven't been able to to deploy them in all of these different applications where they're needed. Do you have a favorite amino acids in your catalog? I mean, I started out by saying I'm a crypto fan. It's obviously <laughs> a crypto fan, right? Uh, but let's see, if we have to pick one specific one, uh, I like I like four cyanotryptophan because it is fluorescent. It glows a really bright blue color, which I think is pretty neat. Oh, that's pretty cool. Help us understand 
why it is important to find better ways to make amino acids. What's the impact and outcomes of that? Yeah, the impacts are are multifold. One is that we aren't able to make the products that we need. If if you imagine being able to make the best drug to treat a disease or the the safest product for consumers or you know the most long lasting or or green materials, if you only have certain tools in your toolbox to work with, you're really limited in what you can make. And so that's that's one of these limitations is that we we want to be able to create a new generation of, of better and better products. And another, of course, is the sustainability and climate aspect of it. What a lot of people don't know is that the pharmaceutical industry actually emits has more carbon emissions than the automobile industry, even though it's smaller and there's significantly less reporting. And so when you're looking into a lot of these uh, bio-based products, you don't hear them in the conversation as much when when discussing climate, but they're actually a huge contributor, not just in pharma, but in, in other industries as well. And so these really inefficient chemical methods that I was talking about uh, have a very disproportionate waste and energy and, and emissions output for every single amino acid that you make. And our product, our, our enzyme platform is cutting all of those by about 99% to make mm-hmm. those same types of products. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like a Lego set. So nature only gave us 20 different types of building blocks and there are limited number of chemicals, materials you can build out of it, but you are significantly expanding that to hundreds, if not more, so that chemists, biologists, material sciences can really make use of the imagination and the sky's the limit when it comes to creating new things that can solve our problems and replacing our existing solutions that are derived from fossil fuels from more sustainable sources. Definitely. Yeah. If you have just these these 20 building blocks to work with, uh, even sticking with the Lego analogy, right? You're going to need different pieces to build a Lego Death Star than a, a Lego palm tree, right? And so you're not going to to be able to create the thing you're envisioning because you don't have the right tools for the job. Can you describe how you use biology to make these amino acids? We have a, a enzyme platform that's able to synthesize these amino acids more efficiently. And we started to develop it using enzymes that you find in nature. So as an example, we'll talk a little bit about tryptophan. So there's an enzyme in nature called TRYP-B that synthesizes tryptophan, uh, but it's not able to make any of these other non-canonical amino acids that we're talking about to expand the toolkit. So we engineered that enzyme using directed evolution, which is a technique that our co-founder, Francis Arnold, won the Nobel Prize for a few years ago. And using directed evolution, we can take that natural enzyme and then push it towards towards new capabilities, like being able to make all of these, these new amino acid products. So we've gotten really good at picking those starting enzymes to work with, engineering them, and then using those to make all of these different different products. For listeners who are not familiar with the concept of direct evolution, could you describe in a way that is not technical and help them understand what that actually looked like in the laboratory? With directed evolution, 
it behaves in the laboratory much the same way as it would if you were breeding a new species of dog. Uh, you may start with uh, some particular features with your favorite favorite type of pet, but then through this type of selective breeding, you can get to a, a new breed of dog that's maybe better at at hunting or better at running or or extra extra cute. And so we do a similar type of of selection over multiple generations in the laboratory so that we start with an enzyme that has some particular function and then over time are able to create something something new. Can you share with us something that is really hard about what you do that's not obvious and that also is surprising to you? When starting the company, I think that I was really focused on getting the basic science to work because of course I'm a scientist. That's mm -hmm. that's where I will start approaching the problem from. But it's been interesting over the past few years to really expand those horizons so that now we're thinking about business agreements and financials and uh, how you manage a team and and get them the resources that they need. And I think that the human component is maybe something that's been the most surprising because I'm just in awe every day of of how smart and capable uh, all of the people that we're fortunate enough to work with are. And they every day kind of blow me out of the water in terms of uh, how they're thinking and how they're you know, treating each other in a really, really favorable and supportive way. So it's been a good experience. How big is the team right now? We are 13 people today. So over the past few years, that's a, a good climb from starting with just me and David sharing one bench in a borrowed lab. Yeah. How did you go about deciding who to hire, what expertise you might need as you expand the team? When hiring, we start from one of two points. One is that we try to think hard about what our current problems are within the company. And if we had somebody who was just really good at solving that problem, what would that mean? How would that let us be smarter, better, faster, you know, bigger than we are today? Uh, and so with that, for example, our first hire was a specialist in fermentation. And uh, this person is still still with us today. And we hired a person to do fermentation because I had been running all of these little tiny experiments 40 hours a week because I didn't know how to do fermentation at these larger scales. And it was just not not effective. It was it was a little bit soul sucking. And so having an expert that could come in and just you know, do that exact same work in in 10 hours and do it way better uh, is an example of how how that really helped us to, to take things to the next level. The second reason that we hire people is because sometimes they're just really awesome. Sometimes you just meet somebody that has a, a really great perspective or a really great set of skills and, you know, you just you just really want to work with them and that they'd be a great person to have on your team, a great addition to the, the current capabilities that you have. As you continue to evolve, no pun intended, and transition your role from being a, a bench scientist to managing teams and setting North Stars for the company and doing more work on business development. 
what has been the hardest for you as you continue to grow into the CEO role? I think that one of the hardest things, while it's a little bit cliche, is just being able to to juggle all of the balls, especially when every day there's a new ball. Uh, and so uh, over time, I've been able to just learn so much about all of these non-technical areas so that it gets you know easier and easier every day. And I've been fortunate to have great advisors and, and friends and investors that were there to help me learn. But one day, for example, uh, I, I remember when we were first setting up our laboratory that somebody asked me to draw the electrical diagram for the laboratory. And I was just staring at them totally like, what does this mean? How do I possibly do that? Do I look like an electrician? But you know, you you figure it out and then you move on to the next thing. And now I can draw an electrical diagram. And then another day somebody asks you to to ship something internationally or, you know, asks you to to write a grant. And so every day is a little bit different, but all of the skills really seem to build on top of each other so that it does get easier and easier every day. Yeah. You constantly have to learn on the job to figure out how to solve the problem at hand. Whether or not you have the expertise and experience to that to do that is on your lap. You have to deal with it. Somebody's got to figure it out and well, there's a small team. <laughs> somebody else who knows how. But I think that that's one of the things that's uh, both stressful because, of course, there's always a lot of things that you need to learn on the fly, and a lot of uh, there's a lot that's riding on that success. But it's also one of the things that's the most rewarding because you get to learn something new all the time. You get to see how all of these pieces that you put in place come together to to build a running company that's that's accomplishing things. And I wouldn't choose to have a job that that was any less chaotic. If you could go back in time and restart, would you build a Rallisbio differently? And if so, how? That's a hard question to answer, of course, because it's, you know, with the butterfly effect, you never know what, what you would change <laughs> and would be, be doing something else. There's not a lot of huge disasters that, you know, I really wish that I could could go back and and correct it. It ends up being a series of small to medium disasters that I think are unavoidable to some extent that just come with, you know, come by virtue of of building something from the ground up. Would you share a story where in retrospect you look back, you think, wow, that is really a defining moment for Aralus Bio? Oh, that's a good question. I think that one of the defining moments was scaling up our process. Uh, for us, it was reaching a kilogram scale. Mm-hmm. And when I left Caltech, we could make one gram of some amino acids. But I just figured, okay, this is the work of a couple months. You just, we have something that's working really well on one gram scale. You just make it bigger. You know, what, what could possibly be so hard? And it ended up taking us probably about a year to accomplish it. And that was one of the main goals because it's just, it, it's not that trivial, right? There's a, a whole lot of technical development and new types of equipment and, you know, new, new challenges that you have to look out for. 
And so when uh, we first made that kilogram, we were all so excited. I remember that everybody in the company was standing around this instrument that would have the readout of the product. And we were all just watching it. And this experiment takes like five minutes to see the results. We were all just staring at it, waiting to see if this this little blip of signal would be where we wanted it to be. And it was. And so we were so excited. And since then, because we've been able to make things at scale, we've been able to work with all kinds of different customers, uh, supplying drugs for clinical trials or or working with people on new types of, of cosmetics and other really exciting things. So I think that was both thrilling milestone and a very useful one. What was particularly difficult with scaling? You touch upon technical challenges. Could you share more? Yeah, I think that it was actually, I think our experience was actually a easier scale up than many technologies have. But my expectations, because I was completely naive, I had no idea what was going to go into this. Uh, my expectations were totally misaligned. But for us, there were uh, a couple of things with scale up. One was, as I was mentioning, this this fermentation piece, because uh, in order to produce the enzyme that we need to make the amino acid, we use a, a microbe like a bacteria in order to produce that enzyme. And the experiments that I was doing were way too small. I would never have been able to make enough enzyme to produce a kilogram of this amino acid. So uh, the first thing we did for scale up was really getting that fermentation in place so that we had plenty of enzyme to work with. And then my esteemed co-founder, David, is a synthetic organic chemist by training. And so he spent a lot of time working on how do we synthesize this amino acid with our enzyme most efficiently? How do we purify it once we've actually made the amino acid? Because a lot of our customers are in pharmaceuticals. And so they require 99.9% purity, which requires a lot of optimization to get to that point. So there wasn't necessarily any one thing that happened. It was dozens of knobs that got just tweaked a little bit here and there, and then all together ended up having a, a process that you know has run really well. And since we've done that first kilogram production, we've only changed the process in small ways. So once it worked the first time, mm-hmm. it's worked you know for further scale up across all kinds of different products. It's it's like a good recipe, right? You you figure out how to make that delicious cake. Now you have the secret. You can make it again. Nice. From kilogram scale, where would you like to go next? What is the next big milestone? Yeah, we have a couple of things we're working on for scale. We have our eyes on making 100 kilograms of product at a time because that would really let us uh, produce some of these commercial products, for example, in a, approved drugs or or other consumer types of products. And another thing that we're working on is that we are really good at making tryptophan because as I keep saying, we are tryptophans, fans of tryptophan. Uh, But there are those 20 other or 20 families of amino acids and tryptophan is just one. And so we're looking to use these same tools of uh, enzymes and directed evolution and fermentation and chemistry to have capabilities to make all of these different kinds of amino acids for different applications. When you talk to your potential customers about your technology and product, 
are they typically familiar with your process? Is there any educational component that you have to bake in as you try to sell your product? In other words, tell us more about how you sell your, your products. To your first question, we have to do some education when it comes to using an enzyme technology to make these amino acids, because the way that we're we're creating these non-canonical amino acids is totally different from what anybody else is doing. And so when you open the discussion about how these are made, people are always going to assume that they're being made using traditional chemistry instead of some of these newer approaches. But when we we share that we have this enzyme and that it, it seems to be working really well, that it's scaling up, that we can make hundreds and thousands of new amino acids that nobody's been able to make before. You can see this sort of light bulb come on in their in their minds as they realize how that really could be changing the workflow that they have within their, their own company. And so they're usually really excited to, to see where this can lead us and see how we can work together. And to use uh, pharmaceuticals as an example, you know, we work with some customers that are in drug discovery. So they're they're trying to identify the the next drug that could treat you know, psoriasis or immune disease or cancer or COVID, you know, whatever, whatever disease of choice. And so these people are really excited because of the, the diversity of these amino acids. Because in order to make a drug, you really need to, to tweak its chemical structure in order to make a drug that's really safe or really potent that can address these important health problems. And our amino acids let them do that. Uh, on the other side, we do a lot of this manufacturing of amino acids. And there, people are really excited about the sustainability component, as well as how that efficiency lends itself to having higher purity products or saving huge buckets of money uh, when compared to some of these other approaches. As a founder, what has been the most helpful advice that you've got? Yeah, so the one that, the, the advice that comes to mind actually came from my co-founder, David, uh, who likes to say, don't ignore red flags. And that sounds sort of pessimistic, right? That there's all of these warning signs that are are out for you in the world and you need to look after them. But I actually think it's more of an exercise of of thinking about your your strengths and the opportunities because there's going to be a million ways that you know things can go wrong in a company, be it for science or or hiring the wrong people or not having a, a business agreement go through. And it's really easy for us as you know, scientists and humans to want to have this idea of how we think things should go and then look for data that will validate what we expect. So maybe I think that, you know, Jenny is going to buy me a, a pizza, but I just made that up because I'm really hungry, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to look at the evidence and see, you know, as Jenny said, she's going to buy a pizza. Is there a story um, that you could share? that's related to Reflect and how it maybe changed your decision or the course of the company? I think the quintessential event of this in startups uh, is doing customer discovery. So deciding exactly what 
trajectory you're going to point your business in? Are you going to make, uh, so for us as an example, are we going to sell an amino acid or are we going to sell the enzyme? Those are two possibilities based off of the, the capabilities that we have. And so if you go, uh, if you go and talk to customers or try to, to try to look for information about which of these choices would be better, you maybe are biased towards thinking, you know, selling an enzyme is going to be the better choice. But as you go to talk to people, uh, you may be either reinforcing your stereotypes or ignoring the things that say that that's actually not, not the right way to go. So, you know, as an example, we had a lot of people who just weren't really comfortable working with enzymes because it is so different from these other approaches. And so uh, if your customer isn't isn't familiar with or doesn't know how to use your product, that's obviously not going to be a good choice for a company. But uh, if you were fixating on that, you might you might ignore those red flags and make some bad choices anyway. So how did you go about deciding whether to sell enzymes or amino acids at the early days of Arellis Bio? We talked to uh, anybody who would make eye contact with me and we asked them about their different problems that they were having and you know what types of, of solutions they might be open to. And as I alluded to, there was a huge positive reaction to selling the amino acid because it's a product that our customers are very familiar with right now. They're they're buying amino acids or they can incorporate it into their existing workflows and how they make their products and run their companies. Uh, and it's just something that they were a lot more comfortable with versus the enzyme, which is something that's cool because it's new, but is also less accessible because it's new. So really going out and you know, talking to people and really testing your hypothesis, getting that information was very important at the start of the company. Finding the right people to talk to is often a huge hurdle, especially for scientists, entrepreneurs. How do you go about finding the first 100 potential customers to talk to and figure out what might be a good product market fit for the company? It is hard to to find people to talk to, especially because as a as a person just starting out, you may not have a huge network you can call upon in order to get all of these introductions. I'm not kidding when I say my strategy was to talk to anyone who would make eye contact with me. I would you know, call or email strangers. I would go to conferences and just you know, talk to anybody who looked like they were alone because then you, know, you could swoop in there and make friends. And then uh, every person that you talk to, you ask if they can recommend somebody else that you should talk to. And you know, before you know it, you've got this, you know, huge network of people. And it's pretty funny because some of our companies, you know, advisors came from this tactic where I just went to conferences and talked to strangers until somebody had the answers or could point me in the right direction. So it is really awkward, uh, especially if you're not so extroverted, but I do think it's the only way to to get the information that you need. You're not going to be able to read papers and get those answers. You're not going to be able to you know, look it up on Google. You need to go out and talk to the real people that are are the ones that would be, be buying or using your product. 
That's great advice. And the more you do it, the the better you become, right? Definitely. I have always been pretty social and extroverted, okay, to talk to strangers, but uh, it definitely has gone to a new level now that my entire job is just talking to people. <laughs> Uh, but it does get easier too because you'll have a team and your team will have a network. And because of all of this work you've been doing in, in customer discovery or as your company becomes more well known, you'll have more connections that way. And it really does multiply and become a lot easier. Is there any advice you would give to early stage entrepreneurs, especially scientists and engineers coming out of academia wanting to build a company? I think the advice is to to be fearless, even though that's really hard. Uh, I figure that my my worst case scenario let's let's assume that tomorrow my company just goes down in flames, right? My worst case scenario is that I had you know, several wonderful years being able to do something that I really loved with really awesome people and get these experiences that. It would never be accessible uh, if you followed a more traditional career path. And so a lot of people get really tied up in the the risks of starting a company. And that isn't to say they aren't true. They definitely are. And you know, depending on your situation, those those risks may may weigh heavier than in others. But it really is such a you know unique and enabling experience that you can't have anywhere else. What do you think Aralus Bio will look like in the next five years? Yeah, there was a debate recently at Arles about whether we should use the terminology dominate the amino acid world. Uh, some people thought that was maybe a little bit too too harsh, but you know, I think I'm feeling it. So we will be dominating the amino acid world. Uh, we're we're really hoping to see that this platform that we're building has expanded so that we can make pretty much any amino acid that you could imagine that we've been able to scale this up in order to support products at all different stages of that development and that we're seeing these amino acids in this new generation of of products that are being used to create something that's both better and more sustainable than what came before. I can't wait to see that world and vision comes to fruition, domination of the amino acid world. World domination, yeah. Mm -hmm. Last but certainly not the least, is there anything we or our audience can help you as you continue to build your company? In our quest for world domination, we're always looking to talk to people that are excited about this same, same type of thing. And so that could be if you're really excited about about green chemistry, sustainability, you know how we can how we can impact the climate, we would love to talk to you. We're always glad to speak with other like-minded uh, individuals. Uh, or if you are interested in creating this this new generation of of sustainable and and useful and awesome bio-based products, then we're always looking for new partners to work with. What's the best way to contact you? Yeah, you can go to our website, which is rlsbio.com. And I know that's a weird word, so I'll spell it. It's A-R-A-L-E-Z-B-I-O.com. And you can you know, learn more about us or you can contact us there and we'd be glad to talk to you. 
otherwise, you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm always open to new friends. Fantastic. Thank you to everybody for listening today. If you'd like to learn more about our conversation or to get involved with the work that Climate Capital is doing, you can check out our website, climatecapital.co. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.